This is Books of Titans, the podcast dedicated to the influences of influencers. The books that have helped shape prominent inventors, business leaders, athletes, intellectuals, scientists, and others. We'll talk about what makes these books such classics and at least attempt to have an intelligent discussion about what makes them so important and influential. Hello, this is Eric Rostad coming to you right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Today, I'm going to cover 21 lessons for the 21st century by Yuval Noah Harari. This is book 44 of 52 for my 2019 reading list. This episode will consist of three segments. The first will be a brief introduction to the book, the author, who suggested it, and my initial reaction. The second segment will be a few ideas that stuck out to me, a few of my favorite things. And then the final segment is the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. So let's get started with the author, Yuval Noah Harari. He's an Israeli historian and a tenured professor in the Department of History at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He got his PhD from Jesus College at Oxford University in, in England. And I made a note of that because uh, I, I spent six weeks at, at Jesus College uh, during, during undergraduate. And I was there in the summer of 2000, which uh, was the exact time that, that Harari was there. So that's just kind of cool. Uh, this is like the best six, six weeks of my life. I loved it. Uh, Harari is also the author of Sapiens and Homo Deus. I read Homo Deus last year as part of my 2018 reading list. And that podcast episode covering that book is, is one of, it, it actually is the most downloaded podcast episode for Books of Titans. So I'll link to that in the show notes, but um, you may want to check that one out as well. Harari takes a one month plus uh, vacation each year and meditates two hours a day, one hour before work and one hour after work. And he does not have a smartphone. The structure of this book, it's uh, obviously 21 lessons, but those 21 lessons are broken up into five parts. Those parts are part one, the technological challenge, part two, the political challenge, three, despair and hope, four, truth, and five, resilience. Harari says that this book is not a historical narrative, but rather it's a selection of lessons. It's a book that concentrates on more immediate social, economic, and political crises. As for who suggested this book, uh, no one really suggested this book, but uh, last year when I read Homo Deus, that one had been suggested by Richard Branson. And just having read Homo Deus and, and consider, considering that to be one of the most important books that I read last year, when I saw that this book was coming out, I wanted to to be sure that, that I added it to the to my reading list for, for 2019. So I, I just finished reading this book. I read it between October 7th and the 15th of 2019. It's a 323-page book, and I read about 40 pages per day, which uh, as of this, for this year, that's kind of on the low end for me, but I also attended a conference on, on artificial intelligence, which was awesome while reading this book because it gets into a lot of artificial intelligence. But uh, I, I, there's a few days there where I didn't get a whole lot of, of reading in, uh, but otherwise, a very interesting book. And, and the days I was reading it, I, I was reading a lot more than, than 40 pages per day. It took eight hours, 21 minutes, and 25 seconds total reading time. Uh, I track that. I'm a nerd, but uh, I also like to to share that so you know how about how long it may take you to read the book. I read quite slowly, and so you know you're looking at like eight eight hours roughly to read this book. I always compare that to the average amount of time that Americans watch TV, which is four and a half hours. So if you just didn't watch four and a half hours of TV for two days, you could read this entire book. 
my initial reaction to the book, a very similar reaction that I had to Homo Deus, where uh, it's kind of a mix, mixture of awe, uh, just like amazement and anger. And part, part of that has to do, I, Harari has this way of not revealing what he thinks. I actually think he, he, he shares what he thinks a lot more in, in 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. But part of what he's also doing is just saying, if, if this is the way we're headed, or if these are the ideas that we as a society have, here are, here, here's where that's going to lead. And this is the logical conclusion for these ideas. So they may not be his, it may not be what he thinks and and he kind of cloaks that. So you don't know what he thinks some of the times. Uh, and so it's frustrating in a way, but I think it's also important for, for us as the readers to, to see the ramifications for, for these ideas that we have and the direction that we are heading. So very important book in that sense. Uh, I, I think back to a quote that uh, Kahneman actually made about Homo Deus because it's very applicable to this book as well. He said, Homo Deus will shock you. It will entertain you. Above all, it will make you think in ways you had not thought before. And so I I would take that Kahneman quote and, and, and put it on, on this book as well. As for who should read the book, uh, if, you, if you're interested in kind of current affairs and, and just understanding where we are at the moment but also what's coming in the in the next maybe 20 to 30 years this is a really good and important book in in that sense he talks about topics such as ai artificial intelligence what's coming in the near future fake news religion russia ubi uh, universal basic income immigration jobs of the future war and and many other topics this it, it just covers a lot of the key talking points of the day. So it, it, it's good to read this and, and have an idea of, of what's going on and, and what's coming. The book reminded me a lot of The World is Flat. And I, I read that book in, in 2004, and it had such an immediate and big impact on me that I, I consider that the reason I went to graduate school. I, I saw where things were headed, and I, I, I knew I needed to get more education. This book has a similar feel in that sense of, of it may lead you to do some things and change direction in your life because of, of what's coming. Uh, it also reminded me of AI Superpowers, a book I, I covered this year, uh, read this year, uh, had a big impact, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes as well. Uh, also reminded me of, of Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, and Factfulness by Hans Rosling. Before I get into segment two here, just wanted to let you know of a way that you can support this podcast. If you get value out of it and, and have ever thought, I'd like to share that that value that, that I've been getting, well, here's a way you can do so. Uh, my wife just released an album. She recorded it right here in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and she this is her eighth album. She has played music her whole life, and uh, this, this new one has musicians from Drew Holcomb, Ellie Holcomb, and Ben Rector. I'm going to link to the iTunes pre-order page right in the show notes. So if, uh, if you're interested, give that link a click and uh, go ahead and pre-order the album. You'll get one song right now and then the rest of the album in, in January. And that would, that would warm my heart. That would, uh, that would be great support for this, this podcast. So now back to the book. 
I'm going to highlight three different ideas that really stuck out to me from this book and, and then also tie them together here in this segment. The first idea is that of speciation. Speciation. I had not heard of this word before, but it relates to species. And an idea that Harari has, it, it's also referenced in Homo Deus, but one that in the future, Harari says that the super rich are going to begin distinguishing themselves through biological traits. So we're, we're already starting to see this in some ways where um, people with, with the resources to do so can have uh, maybe their, their kids, they want their kids to have a certain hair color or eye color as opposed to a different one. And they, you can start manipulating the, the DNA to where you're, you're changing the child into, into, in different ways. But this could take the, the route of, of health too, to where you start changing things to where maybe you're not as susceptible to a, a specific cancer or an, an, another disease. And so slowly you're, you're changing a biological makeup of a person into becoming kind of a superhuman. Uh, and, and Harari says that they'll actually create a different species and a separate biological cast. So speciation, that, that's this idea. Um, but then, uh, he also has, he also talks about this other major shift that's, that's going to be happening, uh, kind of, kind of tied to this one. And that's that, this idea of these, these powerful, super rich or, or superhumans in a way, uh, they're going to begin not needing other people. And so let's take a step back here throughout history, uh, rulers or owners or the powerful have always needed other people to to use or have working for them or uh, in, in, in a lot of cases to exploit. So you would have the powerful and then they would have to have a lot of laborers. Uh, so say an owner of a, of a land uh, area of land would have a lot of laborers for that land. The, the owner, the powerful always had to have the weak and they could exploit them in many cases. Uh, sometimes the weak would fight back against the powerful, but the powerful have always needed the weak for numbers. But the shift that's happening now, and you can see this in some of the new companies. So just to even take Kodak versus Instagram. Kodak back in the day had thousands and thousands of employees. Instagram, not that many. So companies of the future are not going to need as many people working. Now, what happens when the, the people working the cash registers at McDonald's, what happens if they start demanding like a higher, a higher wage, say like $15 an hour? The powerful in this case, uh, who would be the owners, they would just simply switch to computer kiosks. So if you're going to complain about not making enough money, well, we don't need you. And so we're going to switch to computers or we're going to switch to algorithms or we're going to switch to AI. And so instead of people being exploited, even though you're exploited and history has shown some horrible examples of exploitation, you at least were, were needed. But in the future, you may not even be needed. So that group of people is going to be to go from having been exploited to being irrelevant. And that's a huge shift with, with enormous policy implications and in Harari talks about this. I want to read one, one quote that, that gets into this. 
This is page nine, uh, the hardcover version of the book. Perhaps in the 21st century, populist revolts will be staged not against an economic elite that exploits people, but against an economic elite that does not need them anymore. This may well be a losing battle. It is much harder to struggle against irrelevance than against exploitation. Harari then goes on to say that liberalism may not be up to this challenge. And so what is he talking about when he's talking about liberalism? Well, at at the beginning of of, uh, that chapter in that section of the book, he identifies three different types of government that we saw in the 20th century. So in in the 1900s, we we saw fascism, we saw communism, and we saw liberalism. Fascism pretty much died at the end of World War II with uh, Nazism. Uh, it, it died there. And socialism, communism died in the late 80s with the fall of the Soviet Union. So liberalism was the last one standing, but Harari says it may not be up to the challenge of this mass unemployment. Then he goes further and he says that the Achilles heel of liberal democracy is the reliance on the heart and he ties in AI with this because he says, uh, we, we rely on the heart. We rely on the heart for voting. We, we trust the individual and what their heart is telling them uh, to do at the ballot box. We trust people's feelings. But AI may begin to show that the heart is, is easily wrong. Our, our feelings can be deadly wrong in a lot of cases. And in AI may be able to show us that that it's wrong. And so if if we have this reliance on the heart and, and our system is is based on that of, of the trust of the individual voter, what what happens in that case? And so he says, whatever does take over, it must contain a narrative for two things he talks about a lot, biotech and infotech. So I'm gonna read this this part right here. Any story that seeks to gain humanity's Allegiance will be tested above all in its ability to deal with the twin revolutions in infotech and biotech. If liberalism, nationalism, Islam, or some novel creed wishes to shape the world of the year 2050, it will need not only to make sense of artificial intelligence, big data algorithms, and bioengineering, but also to incorporate them into a new and meaningful narrative. The technological revolution might soon push billions of humans out of the job market and create a massive new useless class, leading to social and political upheavals that no existing ideology knows how to handle. So, neat, neat thing to contemplate. Uh, I mean, scary, obviously, but um, but just I I just kind of assume that that things are going to to keep going with uh, with the way our our government is set up, uh, our, our ideas of government, liberalism. And he says, well, that may not be the case. So it, it is interesting, though, with that last, especially that last quote I just read, that he does talk about the importance of stories and narrative for political systems. Because when he talks later about meaning and religion, he says stories are wrong. And, he, and here, here's the quote. This is page 285. If you ask for the true meaning of life and get a story in reply, know that this is the wrong answer. The exact details don't really matter. Any story is wrong, simply for being a story. The universe just does not work like a story. Oh man, I I, I did not like that. I vehemently degree, disagree with, with this statement. And, and it made me think of, of things that C.S. Lewis says. And so I want to read a quote 
here. It says, the value of the myth is that it takes all the things we know and restores to them the rich significance which has been hidden by the veil of familiarity. The child enjoys his cold meat, otherwise dull to him, by pretending it is a buffalo, just killed with his own bow and arrow, and the child is wise. The real meat comes back to him more savory for having been dipped in a story, by putting bread, gold, horse, apple, or the very roads into a myth. We do not retreat from reality, we rediscover it. End quote. So that this is just weird that uh, Harari said that, that any story is wrong simply for being a story. If there's anything that keeps coming up in this Books of Titans project, it is that fiction can often go deeper and, and tell grander stories and hit the truth deeper than nonfiction can. A story can grip you, it can, can provide insight into your own life so much better than somebody just telling you what to do or, or uh, there's something about the, the characters and, and seeing them through a, through a story that can pierce through things more than that. In addition to that, the, the, the stories that he's referencing here, there's something special about them if they've lasted this long, if, if, if we've known about these stories for, for many years. They capture something that is common to the human experience. And I just, I just didn't like that they were just kind of disregarded. Uh, one of the things I hated about Homo Deus is that he, he disregarded the soul so uh, the human soul uh, within like two pages and then just assume the rest of the book that that there was no soul so we can just do that. And, and as I said earlier, I, I know he does some of that just uh, because modern science doesn't believe in the soul as well. And so if we don't believe in the soul, these could be the ramifications. So I, I, I again, not sure if that's what he actually believed, but just the fact that it was done in two pages, I, I didn't like that. And <laughs> this really bothered me in this this book of, of this this idea that story is wrong simply for being a story. So now on to segment three and the one thing, my one key takeaway from this book. I, I am very interested in, in artificial intelligence as it relates to jobs. Uh, that's the reason I read AI Superpowers. And I didn't read 21 Lessons for the 21st Century just for the AI portions, but they were very helpful. And the thing I'm curious to know and, and what I'd like to help companies with is to understand what jobs are likely to be to be removed, to be lost in the future, and then help companies figure out how to, to go from from where they are to, to what's going to be happening in the future. And then also help their individual employees get the education they need or the skills they need to to make that transition as well. So that... That uh, is the issue of jobs with in, in term, terms of AI, something I'm very interested in. And Harari did a great job in, in one of the examples he gave. And this is the main thing I've, I've still been thinking about uh, after finishing this book. And, and here's what he says. He says, doctors will lose their jobs before nurses. Again, doctors will lose their jobs before nurses. Now, just think back to the doctors you know. Or if, if you're a doctor, you know how hard it was to become a doctor. I mean, it was kind of guaranteed job security just by the fact that you, of all the education you had. I mean, it's one of the highest vocational callings. 
and it's expensive, especially in the United States. Uh, you, you have two to three hundred thousand dollars of debt after you've you've gone through all the years of of schooling, and yet in the future, doctors may lose their jobs before nurses. And this was one of the key takeaways in uh, AI superpowers as well, that AI is probably going to hit the white-collar jobs before it hits the blue-collar jobs. But nurses, in this case, have a human touch. They're the ones that are putting the needles in. They're the ones that are uh, <clears throat> maybe giving information about the disease that, that someone has. And it's just that empathy, that human element, whereas doctors, and, and this is a, a very broad uh, generalization here, but doctors are looking at complex sets of data. They're looking at perhaps an MRI, uh, maybe an x-ray, uh, taking into consideration what the, the patient has said, looking at all these different inputs. And AI can oftentimes look at those inputs and make a better diagnosis than the doctor can. Sometimes the doctor may put too much reliance on what the person said or on something else and may not have the full breadth of experience necessary to correctly diagnose something. But uh, AI could potentially do that and, and has in, in some cases. So I, I think that's a great example that what we're looking at here with AI is a different is different than what we've looked at in the past. Maybe jobs went to a different country, or maybe robots took took jobs. Uh, but these were these were factory jobs or jobs that were automated. We're looking at a whole different set of jobs being taken on the first round here. Uh, this ties in too with with my one key takeaway from from Homo Deus, which was that focusing on a niche could get you in trouble. So there's a new book out, Range, by David Epstein, and that talks just about having a wide variety of, of interests. Uh, from what I know about it, I'm going to read it next year in next year's reading list. But uh, the idea that that uh, a brighter, broader scope will give you different insight into problems that you wouldn't have just if you're, you're focused on one thing. And in Homo Deus, Harari says, if you just focus on one area and just become super good at that, in the past, that was a key to success. That was a great way to, to, to make a lot of money. You would become known as the, the top person in that field. But if, if in, in the future, if, if that's your goal, if that's what you're striving towards, and you become the best in, that, in your field at a particular thing, but then AI can do it better than you, you're, you're done for because you've put all your eggs in that one basket. So... The discussion on jobs in this book, I mean, there's a whole chapter on it. Very good, very, very insightful, and very helpful. Uh, so to, to recap the, the entire book, this is a very important book for our time. Harari may infuriate you, but he will make you think, and that is the true measure of a good book. These are the topics in the news right now, and they're the ideas that we'll be grappling with over the next 20 years. So this is an, a, a, a good book for you to read. Um, it, and, and it's kind of a broader than Homo Deus. So Homo Deus is about the future. Sapiens, his other book, is about the past. 21 Lessons for the 21st Century is about right now. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you uh, what you think about this episode or, or other episodes. One of the reasons I started this project was to 
to be able to communicate with others who are reading the same books as me. Please email me at eric at booksoftitans.com. That's Eric with a K, so E-R-I-K, at booksoftitansplural.com to let me know what you thought of this episode. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter, and the website is stock full of resources to help you find books and create a reading list. I'll be back next week. I'll likely be covering Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins and on, on the podcast next week. So keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.